FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 419 of the podcast that got snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason Rollerblade and Venable, and it's a flashback of a bonus episode. What else can I squeeze into that introduction? Um, <laughs> and so, where we would be normally is covering Executioner's Song, but I've already covered it. If you haven't heard it yet, let me tell you where you can listen to it, okay? So you can listen to it on episode 17 of the Cable Guide podcast with Grant. Um, so go do that. That's the first half. The second half of our Executioner's Song crossover is going to be on episode 39 of Excalibros. Both of those are out there in the uh, digital stratosphere, ready for you to plug into and listen. Um, both shows are gracious enough to kind of adopt a version of our Six Claw rating. I think we did pouches. Um, and so you can even get my scores and stuff as well as the other guys. So, you know, with Grant and Danny and... I always do that. With Grant and Dan and Georgie uh, from Cable Guide and Excalibros, respectively. Um, and we covered the hell out of that event. Um, originally, we are going to try to do three episodes. Have one for each of us. And, you know, turns out, try to do three different shows and all the different time zones um, during a pandemic and where everyone's kind of feeling crappy. Um, it's a little little challenging. So we went ahead and broke it into two blocks. Um, and I had, had talked to them and was originally thinking about doing like a super cut for my show, right? For Snickcast. Um, decided against that. One... I mean, it's just as easy to go listen to our thoughts on the actual shows that we did it on, so there's no reason to really copy that and and really have unnecessary competing for your attention. Um, you don't really need that. Well, let me say this. If there's an overwhelming request for me to do that, I will reconsider. And, I mean, I have all the audio, so I, I don't have a problem throwing it all together uh, into, like, one super expanded version episode, but I think what I'm going to do today is talk about Song's End, which is the uh, epilogue to Executioner's Song, which actually doesn't have Wolverine, but it has Jubilee, right, which is a Wolverine supporting character. No, she's definitely evolved way past that. That's a little diminishing of her import. Um, but also, I... I have not officially decided I'm going to cover all of his appearances. I do like to keep up with Gambit, especially here in the 90s uh, with our Gambit's Gumbo, the podcast I wish I had time to do. Um, and, you know, he definitely has a big role in this issue. And so we, we'll just talk about that briefly. This will probably be a pretty short episode. Um, before we get to that, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I missed an issue. So I'm going to backtrack to Infinity War just briefly. Um, from Wonder Man 17, which is his kind of uh, epilogue in his solo book to Infinity War. Remember, his uh, his book was one of the, the books that had tie-in chapters. Um, you can hear my full thoughts on how that went on my Infinity War episode. 
Um, but I do want to cover this book. So Wonder Man 17, Explosion, is written by Gerard Jones, pencils by Jeff Johnson. Um, oh, Dan Panosian and Mark McKenna are the inkers. Pat Brousseau is the letters. Joe Rosas does the colors. And the cover is by Johnson and Terry Austin. And the cover has Wonder Man lashing out against his West Coast Avenger teammates, uh, specifically Scarlet Witch, Living Lightning, Spider-Woman, and U.S. Agent. And then there's also an Avengers Dissemble, which is not quite the Avengers Disassemble that we'll get uh, from Bendis later, but it did definitely remind me of that. So, won't really go into this a whole lot, um, but basically Simon Wonder Man is kind of losing control of his powers and his temper and is getting kind of violent and his West Coast Adventure teammates try to restrain him and ask him, are, are you real Wonder Man or are you doppelganger Wonder Man? Which of course prompts a flashback to Infinity War, uh, which of course includes a cameo of Wolverine. Um, so that's our Wolverine appearance. Very, very brief. Bottom corner panel of page four. Um, and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm the real Wonder Man. The doppelganger's gone. You saw him. You saw that happen, right? The doppelganger was out there. I got trapped in the big bubble with Galactus. Um, you know, we didn't switch. So it's me. I'm just struggling. And I don't really know if I like, you know, who I've been or what I've been. Um, and I, I, I let, basically kind of says that the vision's altruism or those characters. I think it's kind of weird, right? Because vision, they're both based on Simon Williams. I mean, he is Simon Williams. Vision is based on Simon Williams. But he's like, but no, Simon Williams wasn't a, always a great dude. He's a bad guy first. He was a shady businessman. He's the Reaper's brother. It runs in the blood. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to be losing my temper and not be so nice. And so... There's some other subplot stuff that I don't really care about, and it's definitely not germane to the podcast. Um, then at the end, his team he fights his teammates. Um, then his boy sidekick shows up, and he can like multiply now. He's like multiple man or something, and that kind of calms down and diffuses the situation because no one wants to hurt a kid. Uh, but then Wonder Man's like, "All right, I quit," and that's that. And the next cover. It was like a play on the iconic Spider-Man quits cover. There's a Wonder Man walking off in the rain with his uniform and a trash can. So, I have that. I'll be reading that. Um, not for the podcast, though. Um, yeah, this was... I didn't really like this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing there's probably a whole generation of readers that feel like Johnson's physique and design for Wonder Man is right. Having not really... Having only read some Wonder Man before this, and then way after it, and no one really, no one else really draws him like Johnson draws him, because he's kind of, he's not thin, he's definitely like strong, but he has like a really long face, kind of a narrow face, whereas most of the time people today draw him almost more of a classic chiseled. I mean, he's, a, he's an A-list movie star actor, so he's got more of like a a square Brad Fit Brad Brad Fit. <laughs> that's that's his real angry name, Brad Fit. Um, a Brad Pitt type face, and this is more of a. I don't know. I don't really know who. I'm guessing it's based on someone, but it's just it's just a longer, 
kind of goofier looking guy. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, I think the main thing is, I don't just really, there's nothing that really pulled me in or engaged me in this, particularly not really liking his tie-ins to Infinity War. There's nothing to like change that. So I'm going to give Wonder Man 17 two out of six claws. Okay, so before we get to the songs and issue itself, just a very, very brief thoughts on Wolverine in particular and his involvement with Executioner's Song. Because it's... I mean, as we talked about on the two episodes that we talk about uh, for Cable Guide and Excalibur's, you know, it's a little bit of a mess of a story. It kind of advertises as one thing, kind of does something else, but essentially it's a Cable and Strife story and about Scott and Gene. And everyone else is kind of secondary. Um, even, you know, the the impetus of the whole story, which we'll kind of resolve here in this epilogue of the attempted assassination or fake assassination, you got to wonder what the real intent was, um, of the techno-organic virus that got shot into Xavier I mean, it really just becomes a barely in the background story <laughs> of the event. Um, and so Wolverine, for the most part, uh, his mission is to take Bishop and try to go find Cable at the beginning of the story when they think Cable is the assassin or uh, attempted assassin. And so what we see, I think, through the story is he, Bishop, and Cable, you know, as the uh, the 90s X-Men trinity um kind of do a little bit and then do a whole lot of nothing and then kind of disperse through the end of the story. Um, but I think Wolverine's main purpose or, or main to-do in this story is, is kind of twofold. I mean, obviously he's there because he's the most popular character and he's there to sell books. <laughs> I guess that's probably the real, the out-of-story purpose. But the in-story purpose is, I think, uh, to form some bonds with Bishop. Um... Which they definitely do. I mean, he, he takes Bishop on that the first initial mission, and Bishop's kind of in awe a little bit, but, you know, definitely holds his own. And so there's a lot of mutual respect there, um, you know, and kind of cementing, you know, Wolverine as a good mentor um, for Bishop, and they grow a friendship there, which I think, well, you know, we'll see kind of what, if anything, happens to that. Um, also... He decides to trust Cable. Um, you know, once he starts kind of seeing some of the evidence, you know, Bishop is a little more reluctant to, you know, to not get justice for Xavier's, uh, the attempt on his life. And Wolverine's a little quicker to see Cable's side to realize that maybe they're being duped. Um, and, you know, oddly, for Wolverine, kind of serves as the voice of reason there. Um, so that's kind of what he does there. Uh, so he kind of brings Cable and Bishop together. Um, and that's interesting. There's, you know, some other hints that they're having a shared past, but really no details still on what that may have looked like or when that may have occurred. Um, but really just about going forward, kind of this trust they gain with each other. Uh, when Cable takes them back to Grey Malkin, there's a lot of sitting around. There's some fun scenes that we talked about on the Scalabros episode of, of them just kind of being bored on the space station, um, waiting, you know, for something to happen. And then, of course, um, Wolverine, as the other guy 
quote unquote Virgine uh, gets her summons, you know, once and lets, you know, Wolverine know that they're being held on the moon so they can get all the X-Men to go rescue them. Um, and then, of course, he's part of the rescue, obviously. You know, he's part of the, the team that goes to the moon and and he gets his claws out and does some fighting. But I think, I think really the main, the main character beats from Wolverine in, in the whole event are building a relationship with kind of the other rough and tumble X characters. Um, you kind of feel bad for Gambit kind of being the odd man out. Like he's the other kind of cool new 90s character. I mean, technically into the 80s, but you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, it's like, well, you know, maybe he, he should have been in there instead of one of the other three. But um, anyway, um, you know, definitely Cements, Wolverine, Cable, and Bishop is kind of the three hot characters in the X-Books. And it's nice to see them do some stuff together. And I think that's really, you know, Wolverine's main main to do is just kind of be badass and be part of the badass club. Um, I don't know if anything he did was really totally essential to the plot. But I mean, you can say that about lots of stories, right? I don't think, I don't think a character has to be the main piece to be essential to the plot or to be a valuable addition to the plot. But um, but as far as like weighing the whole event. Uh, Wolverine's really just there to kind of be awesome. <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> so, um, as talked about on the It's Galbraith episode, which hopefully you've already listened to, um, well, if you haven't, before you listen to the epilogue, for sure, if, if not before you listen to these thoughts, and at least before I get to the issue, press pause, go listen to those two episodes, because they're really fun, they're really great. Um, lots of good thoughts, better thoughts from, you know, my cohorts. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of gave the whole event, you know, three out of six claws, like lots of good stuff, some stuff where it kind of fell apart, um, some of the art was great, some of it was not, you know, definitely, um, blubbering <laughs> as an event, it definitely, uh, bloated a little bit, but, um, you know, all in all, there were some issues that, that we graded really high, some that we didn't grade, you know, so high, and, you know, kind of averaged out. I think all of us are pretty pretty close to uh, a consensus on that, if I remember right, which I should. We just did that a couple of days ago. But anyway, I don't, I, I'm always nervous about misquoting things or misrepresenting things, and I don't want to do that. So um, anyway, all that said, we're going to jump just briefly. And it's going to be pretty brief. It's going to be a pretty short episode. Um, Uncanny X-Men 297, which is Song's End, um, an epilogue to Executioner's Song. And this is uh, written by Scott Lebdell. Uh, art by Brandon Peterson and Dan Panosian. So Peterson on pencils, Panosian on inks. Uh, Chris Eliopoulos on the letters and Marie Javins on the colors. Um, the cover is by Peterson and Panosian. And it's kind of a classic cover. It's basically a purple shadow of Xavier standing um, over a shocked Jubilee who's laying on the ground in front of him. But, but she's facing us, and we're seeing Xavier's from the back, and his, his nice little butt there he's got. Um, <laughs> but um, he's all in shadow, and Jubilee looking up at him in complete shock. It's a pretty good cover. It's pretty nice. Um, so, what we have basically is Archangel and Beast taking it upon themselves. One, one of the kind of side events that happened in the event 
Executioner song was Harry's Hideaway. The old X-Men hangout was destroyed by Caliban. And so they decide they're going to fix it up. Uh, they take it upon themselves in the middle of the night. Uh, the Beast invented some silent construction tools, which of course he did. And, um, and they're going to they're gonna fix the place up. And they have a lot of really good kind of banter and conversation. Um, it's really fun, you know. Beast kind of, they have some nostalgic reminiscing. They talk about where they are right now. Uh, you know, Beast roundabout says how proud he is of Warren for... You know, he had his struggles adopting to the Archangel persona, but has kind of come out the other side, still being a strong X-Man and a good man, and, you know, how much he appreciates that. And, you know, there's some horseplay as well. Uh, you know, when Beast talks about how, how um, you know, back, back in the old days, Warren had paid Hank to write a paper for him, but then, of course, uh, the professor said, you know what, forget the papers, give me a mental paper. You're not going to turn it in. You're going to, like, relay it to me. And, of course, Warren cannot. Um, and he, he confesses to Beast now, like, how do you always know? And Beast is like, oh, well, I told him, but after I cast the check, it's a really fun moment, right? He's like, I took the money, you paid me, and then I told Professor what we did, and then he changed the assignment and made you look like an idiot. And <laughs> it's just kind of, kind of jerky, but kind of fun, and I don't know, it, just, it felt really good. It was a really sweet moment. Then we have Rogue and Gambit. Um, and I think what's a very pivotal scene, or series of scenes, a very pivotal issue in their relationship, because Rogue, of course, remember, was blinded by Strobe during the event, so she's recovering from that. She's sitting um, up on a roof at night, just kind of thinking, brooding, and Gambit comes up, and she's like, she expresses how much she wants for him to be able to comfort her, but he can't. She can't let anybody in. Her power is all about restraint. Uh, Gambit says something about bed rest, and Rose like, well, I guess that's, that's where you come in. He's like, ha ha. It's kind of, you know, some funny flirting. Um, Gambit, of course, is 19. It's in the early 90s, so Gambit's a chain smoker at this point. He's smoking up on the roof. Um, uh, he kind of tries to comfort her, but can't really. Uh, she resists his efforts. And then we get kind of the famous scene of the issue, where uh, Jubilee's rollerblading around, happy that everything has kind of turned out for the best. You know, Scott and Jean are alive. Cable and Strife are gone. Professor X is healed. And she runs into Professor X, who's walking around barefoot in the grass. Turns out he has a limited amount of time after expunging the techno-organic virus where his legs work. I don't really know what the science is for that. The muscle memory, whatever, is there, because he expunged all of the techno-organic virus as far as we know. There's nothing left in there. Maybe there's some kind of nanites that his body is burning through. They don't really explain it, and it's probably best that they don't. But for whatever reason, he's got a couple hours to walk around on his legs, and, you know, he kind of talks to Jubilee about that, what that means. Because she's like, oh, well, you're a really powerful mutant, so it doesn't really matter that you can't walk. He's like, well, I mean, I still wish I could. <laughs> um, but then, <laughs> funny enough, in her backpack, Jewie has an extra blade, or an extra set of rollerblades. She pulls it out and tells Professor X, we're going to go rollerblading together. Um, then back to Rogue and Gambit, uh, she talks about how, you know, her power is a curse, 
And Gambit's power is to charge things up and throw them away, but she doesn't want to be charged up and thrown away. And you have a nice little kind of verbal... And it's a little bit kind of pity party, but just kind of a nice verbal, like, you know, I, here's who you are as a power, but it's also kind of your personality, right? You're a charming, you know, scoundrel, and I, that's not what I'm looking for, but I do really like you. Um, but we can't do anything about it. I just need someone to hold me and tell me it's okay, but no one can do that. No one can help me physically have affirmation and comfort and a hug that like all of this that we're doing is worth it. Um, all the custom bruises and there's a gamut sitting behind her. She's all in dark shadow. He reaches towards her and she slaps his hand away and, and he walks off. Then uh, Jubilee scares Professor X half to death rollerblading around and then she leads him into the pool. <laughs> they both fall into the swimming pool and have a good old laugh. Uh, Archangel and Beasts get busted, but they have image inducers, so the security guard's like, oh, late night construction, huh? All right, cool. I'm glad y'all are fixing this place up. And then as the sun starts to come up, we see Gambit comes back. Now, one can argue, if you will, for Gambit, who's supposedly very quick on his feet, <laughs> could have maybe just taken off his trench coat instead of leaving. But he had left and went and got a blanket, and it's a really sweet scene. He can't touch her, skin to skin. But he wraps her up in the blanket, gives her a big hug, and says, you know, I'm here. It's going to be okay. We can do this. And it's just a really it's a really sweet scene. Um, him kind of working, or trying to work in the parameters of their struggles and her powers and, and kind of the barriers that that brings and trying to get through those without being... I don't know, like, he could just be like, oh, you know, in the past, like, on their date issue, he kind of, he talks about, oh, it's worth it, it's worth the risk, I'll touch you, and I'll take the consequences, and, you know, a lot more brash about it. Here he's a lot more just gentle and comforting, and kind of shows that he actually can be, like, a good partner and an understanding, and I, I don't know, to me, this really, if the date issue that led to, like, the, the Ghost Rider story and all that was kind of them officially kind of making an attempt to be together. This is the foundation on this type of scene, this type of nurture and care and just transparency with each other um, is the type of thing that, that makes me glad that you know, I know they've had their ups and downs, their offs and ons, but they seem to be kind of a relationship that keeps coming back together. And you can point to scenes like this as to why. Like, there's a really good foundation laid here, I think, for their relationship that's really nice to see. And then Jubilee and Professor X are also wrapped up in towels because they got all wet. And, you know, Jubilee talks about how she thought Professor X was always so uptight, but he actually can't have fun. He's a normal dude. And she's glad they bonded. And then um, Professor X decides to walk back to the house. And Jubilee... It gets really emotional because she sees him start to falter and she was going to ask if he needed help but instead of saying anything she lets him walk off and as he falters and leans on a tree and tries to keep walking by himself she runs and grabs him and carries him uh, walks with him helps him walk back to his chair um, it's a really sweet scene it makes you really endeared to Jubilee because you know she kind of Shows Professor X the fun side, 
but also is open-minded. Is like maybe this isn't just an old crusty uncle guy. <laughs> like, and he's a person, and he needs friendship and support, and he's not just like the leader of the school. Like, he's part of our family, and we need to be there for each other. It's just, I don't know, man. This side. So first of all. You know, one of the common threads in the in the two crossover episodes we did on this Executioner song is that whenever we think of him now, Brandon Peterson's early work is not always great. I do think in this issue, he benefits heavily from Panosian doing the inks. Um, it's a good team-up. You can tell Panosian has cleaned him up a little bit. Given him some starker design elements. Um, for example, Beast looks great. Uh, you know, most of the characters look pretty good. And you can talk about the big hair on Rogue, but that's that's more of a '90s problem than an art problem. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I know. I feel like Peterson will grow into an artist that I'll like more than I do. You know, here towards the end or summer going into fall of 1992. He'll grow into an artist I have more appreciation for, for different things, and his style will evolve quite a bit. I remember liking his stuff on um, Codename Strike Force over when he first jumps over to Image and Top Cow under Silvestri, and and then um, you know, he does some pretty cool stuff, like painterly 3D type stuff in uh, at CrossGen, and then you know his art, you know, in the more recent years is kind of that more it's kind of a more digital flair I think it, it, there's some pretty sometimes it works really well sometimes it doesn't and then, you know that's fine um, but anyway for, for this issue the Peterson-Pinosian combination kind of brings out the best of Peterson's work so you can argue that maybe Pinosian is doing some heavy lifting there and that's fine um, but it's, it's a good combo it's a pretty good looking book overall um and the colors are nice, and you know. So problematic to talk about some of the creators of yore who have turned out to be kind of d bags. Um, and Lobdell looks like he may be one of those. Um, and, and it's interesting because his work is so hit or miss for me. Like just generally speaking, so. I have very fond memories of his X-Men work in the 90s. Um, but then, you know, one of the things we talked about, again on the crossover episodes, was that his writing seemed to be some of the weaker of the event. And, you know, maybe my memory of that is not what it should be, but this is a really strong issue. Um, really good character development, or just a really sweet, sincere issue. It's the typical, our event's over, let's have some downtime issue that, you know, Claremont did so famously in, in the X-Men books and, you know, definitely following suit on that. But it just, it works. It works really well. Um, this is a, a really sweet, good, just emotionally satisfying issue um, that may... Just for just for pure writing and characterization, it's probably the best issue of the event. <laughs> it's not as much fun. There's not as much action. There's not as much plot pushing forward, and you know, 
Some of that in the event worked very well, some of it didn't. And there, there's none of that really here. But just as a satisfying emotional wrap-up of kind of where the X-Men are right now, and it's really not even just plot threads from the event, like the Rogue Gambit relationship precedes that, um, you know, Archangel struggles, and is, you know, he has the kind of a, a f- confrontation with Apocalypse that pays off, question mark? But he's been dealing with that for a while. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's just a really satisfying comic book. So I'm going to give it 6 out of 6 claws. Uh, you can maybe argue that the art, is, while it is better, it's not quite to that level, but I think the story just over overwhelms it. I really, really love this issue. I was happy to read it again. And yeah. So before we go away completely, another uh, kind of epilogue issue that's not officially an epilogue uh, is X-Force 19 not really going to do like a full synopsis or a review um but basically you know some more great capullo art and then uh the x-force guys all get new costumes some of which are improvements some of which are not um and then kind of have their uh cannonball kind of has his showdown with, with xavier and and they leave on okay but uh hesitant terms uh, Professor X doesn't really agree with their version of the dream, but they're still pursuing the dream. They're just using their own methods, and they don't want to be at odds with the X-Men, um, though, you know, they could be. They were just all, all except Cannonball held against their will throughout the whole Executioner song. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they're just kind of like, you know, we're going to go do our thing. We're going to do it our way. We're going to try to do the right thing. We're still fighting for the same thing, just... And we're not going to be as extreme as Cable. I mean, Cannonball, I mean, he softens it a little bit. Like, they're not completely going to be like the ex-militia. <laughs> but, but they're, they've grown up since they were new mutants. And they need to do something on their own. Uh, Cannonball is going to lead them. And that's kind of how that goes. So, it's another pretty good issue. Uh, definitely will set the stage for where that book goes forward. Um, you know, if and when Wolverine gets back to those characters, I think it may just may, may be worth noting that you know, Cannonball is kind of taking the team off, and and he's going to try to do better than Cable, but he can't completely go back to the X Men philosophy either. Like he he's going to land somewhere in between, and he's got to find his own footing. And the team supports him, and he's going to do his best to lead the team and, and figure all that out. So it's a pretty pretty solid issue as well. Um, all right, well, like I said, pretty short issue. So that's going to do it. It'll be right around half an hour by the time I edit. So I hope you enjoy this bite-sized chunk. Um, as far as what's next, um, get the Excalibros back on for some Dawn of X. And then um, hoping to have uh, Pat Gunter on really soon. He hasn't been on in a while, but uh, talk about uh, the last uh, Wolverine text issues in the solo book. Uh, looking forward to having him come on for that. And then um, there's nothing really like... You know, we've had several kind of tentpole episodes. You know, we had the Infinity War Executioner song that we are talking about. It's going to be a while before we get anything else like that. It's mostly just kind of random stories and issues uh, going through. Well, that's not entirely true. We do have Uncanny 300 around the corner. Um, 
And so hopefully that we can do something kind of cool and special for that. Have a couple of, of feelers out on that, and we'll, we'll see if anything if anything bites. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, coming up also, you know, Secret Defenders, and then just kind of lots of just random stories moving in. We're a little ways off from the next event, which will be like Fatal Attractions. Um, so there's quite a bit of ground to cover between now and then. But, um, yeah. So, that's going to do it. So, as always, guys, please stay well. Stay safe out there. Um, for the podcast and go Snit, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnitCast. Um, go listen to the Cable Guide, not just the Executor's... Go listen to the Cable Guide, not just the Executioner song episode, but all of it, all of Grant's episodes are really, really fun. And then, of course, the Scalabros, you've heard them on here multiple times. And, you know, go listen to their episodes as well, because they're always a treat. So, I think that's, that's really it now. So, until next time, hugs and snacks, everyone. Bye-bye. And snacked.